Welcome to Latte with a Lawyer, a podcast dedicated to bringing you the stories of some of America's most successful lawyers, figuring out what makes them tick, how they creatively solve problems, and how others aspiring to be them can follow in their footsteps. Okay, folks, welcome to another episode of Latte with a Lawyer. I'm your host, Jonathan Brickman, and uh, this morning still, yep, uh, we have Lisa Pittman, and I'm not sure what the name of your firm is. Pittman Legal? Yes, sir. Okay, excellent. Good. Nice, nice to have you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Good. Um, so just to keep it the theme of the show, Latte with a Lawyer, what's your morning beverage of choice? Coffee <laughs> okay. with several supplements and uh, so forth put in it. <laughs> Okay, good. Do you want to expand on the supplements given your the nature of your one work? of them is a collagen peptide something, and the other one is um, actually it's a Stamets stack of seven mushroom powder. Um, that's also good for immunity. I put in there, and sometimes I'll put some superfood powder. Wow. And some prebiotics, so it kind of turns into a smoothie. <laughs> wow, excellent. That sounds like a complicated coffee. You can't order that at Starbucks. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good stuff. Um, so, I mean, I, I read your background. It looks like you're involved with the uh, the cannabis industry for some time. So tell everybody about what you do, what kind, what's your practice? Sure. Well, my practice focuses on the cannabis and hemp industry. Well, marijuana and hemp, both plants are cannabis. And um, recently, psychedelics. My background is 25 years of commercial business litigation. And in uh, 2015 in Texas, we had the introduction of the Texas Compassionate Use Act. And when I read the testimony of mothers in support of this act, which was originally just for um, terminal epilepsy, mm. and I saw what their lives were like, what their children's lives were like, the decisions they were facing, perhaps even leaving Texas, leaving mm -hmm. their families, schools, uh, churches, communities, et cetera, to seek treatment for their children, or maybe they didn't have the means to do so. And so that really lit a fire under me to do something, that this was a potential medicine being withheld from children or from anybody, which really went back to my teenage years when I volunteered at Texas Children's Hospital for children with terminally ill diseases, and I wanted to be an art therapist for them, but I got uh, sidetracked in my psych major at the statistics class, so I just slide on over to English, which later led to law school, so I found a way to finally merge my passion with my profession, and I also personally empathized with them because my daughter had epilepsy, okay. and when she was around a year old, you know, I took her to Texas Children's and Memorial Hermann and I said, give me the head of the department. And I got them and they gave me conflicting treatment plans. So one wanted to medicate her up to the gills and said, sorry, you're not going to have the same child anymore because of the devastating effects that these drugs have on the brain and the organs. And the other one said, well, this could be a juvenile form that she outgrows and that we could closely monitor. Let's see. And that's what I liked to do. And last year she was cleared by the neurologist and it was juvenile. But that just showed me that these highly qualified doctors were guessing at what her condition was and guessing at how to treat it in wielding these life-changing drugs. And I thought, you know, we should have another tool in the toolkit 
that's natural, that's been used for thousands of years, that doesn't have any bad side effects. So that's really how I got into it um, in the beginning. And I, I wasn't really intending to practice law. I left the litigation firm. And when I got into this, I thought, well, I don't really care if I lose my law license because I'm tired of that thankless work. This is what I want to pursue. And I wanted to open a wellness center for women outside of Austin. And it's kind of a revolutionary take on going to the doctor and kind of a rustic setting and holistic for women to come consult about all kinds of plant-based therapies and nutrition and pre preventative measures before going out to Colorado, for example. So I was working on that. I also sort of had an idea for a futuristic dispensary specifically catered to women's wellness. But after a point, you know, I needed to start making some money. Yeah. So I went to Denver around January 2015 or 16 to a, a cannabis conference for women. It was called Women Grow. And there were 1,800 women there from across the country. And that showed me that this was already a movement sweeping the country. And it was actually already an industry. So I met with some attorneys while I was out there that wanted to get a footprint in Texas. And I started working with them. And my first major assignment was advising LSU on the rollout of Louisiana's medical program, which was unique in that they gave it to LSU and Southern to grow and distribute and so forth. And of course, it was a very conservative state, very wary of this program. And I had to learn everything A to Z to advise them both practically speaking, like what kind of equipment do you want to use? And legally speaking, because they didn't want to jeopardize their federal funding or get sued. So that was a great crash course. And mm -hmm. from there, I realized, hey, this is something I want to keep doing. And I've kept doing it. Oh, so, so you so you are practicing law again. And this is strict. I'm, I'm just reading your I mean, I see your LinkedIn profile, but so you're helping people um just expand a little bit more on exactly what you do day to day and who you're working for. Sure. So I it's it's businesses uh, predominantly. Okay. Um, I represent both hemp businesses and marijuana businesses. Um, they could be investors, farmers, retailers, distributors, manufacturers. You name you name it. Oh, getting also, access to 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 do their business in the state of Texas or anywhere. Uh, anywhere. I mean, I work in multiple states that have legalized marijuana. Our program in Texas is still very minute <laughs> and right. limited. So, um, you know, I, I help people prepare and I work in governmental relations and you know, like I help get the hemp law passed in Texas. And you lobbyists you know, as well. You sort of lobbying as well. Yep. I do some of that. Um, okay. That's, you know, kind of integral to the whole thing is, yeah. is going to the Capitol in our conservative state in my suit and pearls as a lawyer and mother yeah. and trying to educate and convince them, you know, what this really is. And to, you know, as we start to get away from reefer madness, but it's still alive and well. And a lot of the politicians, you know, they'll even tell me I'm personally for it, Lisa, but I cannot cast a vote in favor of it because they are scared of um, upsetting their contingency. And pretty much they just care about their next election. To, so <laughs> over the right thing. Yeah. So that's what I'm working on is, you know, let's look at the right thing and some different ways to do this. Let's open up research and so forth. So, so you're in a very conservative state, obviously. I mean, the state yeah. of Texas is making all kinds of news here. 
but you grew up in Houston? You live in Austin? Yep, I grew up in Houston, and my first adult decision was to move to Austin. Oh. When I was about 17, I came here to see a show. I love music, and um, the only city I had seen at that point was San Antonio. I thought, wow, I didn't know a town could be so cool and full of music and full of the kind of people that I like. Um, so I, I decided to move here. So I've been here 30 years now. Oh, interesting. You, you, you don't know this, but my dad went to University of Texas at Austin. And one, of my, and one of my brothers did as well. Hook them horns. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's, at least it has the uh, the reputation of being the more uh, liberal part of Texas. Is that true still? Oh, yeah. Austin is still amazing. Uh, we're kind of getting overrun by Californians and such. Oh, is That's that right? For another podcast. <laughs> oh, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. The tax benefits, I'm sure. Same environment, yeah, but yeah, better. Yeah, but they want to come here and make everything ultra expensive when uh, Austin used to be known for its affordability. And that's why we had um, such a thriving music and arts scene because it used to be affordable to live here. Actually, I mean, since I've been here for so long, um, you were known to take a quality of life, cost of living adjustment to live in Austin. Mm. There weren't many law firms here. You know, you weren't going to make enough money. And um, all of Texas, you know, as we were saying, very conservative. So if you lived in Austin, Dallas, Houston, everywhere, look down on you like, oh, you're a dirty hippie. And that was just yeah. the assumption. And we do. I mean, we live here because we cherish the lake and the hills and the music and and all of that kind of stuff that's sort of not considered important by certain demographics. But in the past 10 years, it's um, it's become the opposite. You know, I mean, we've had such an influx also from the Northeast and uh, from Florida, but I would say the most offensive group is California because they seem to come in, they're very arrogant, very entitled. They don't really care what they're trampling on as far as our local culture. And so, you know, all of our music venues have had to close because of their rising rents and all of our musicians have had to leave town because a regular person cannot afford to live in Austin or buy a home here anymore. And it's um, it's really sad. So in all these new folks that have moved here, I'd, I'd say it really started in earnest in 2005 as when it became noticeable. Uh, they, they're not aware of how Austin used to be viewed by the rest of Texas. Mm. Uh, they just see it as the the current utopia and tech haven that it has become. And so it's, it's, it's kind of funny. There's just this disconnect uh, between the different uh, groups, you know, the, the ones that have historically appreciated living here and the folks that are crashing the party now. Yeah, well, I mean, that happens everywhere, right? Where it's desirable, you get people to move in, it changes it. I mean, I live in South Florida. I'm not from Florida. I uh, I mean, this is basically the Northeast transplant. Yeah, I call it Florida Jersey. <laughs> kind of, yeah. I mean, it certainly isn't South. It's not the South, I can tell you that. Yeah, It. well, yeah, when you get up to the Panhandle, but or maybe Central Florida, but yeah, any of the beach areas. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I don't hear Southern accents. I'll say that. No, 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 no. You hear mostly New York accents. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, anyway, interesting. So, so that, that that's interesting. Okay. Um, I mean, but again, it's kind of inevitable. You can't really keep up, uh, you know, fences 
to pre to preserve you know the way it used to be right that's true i'm trying to change my perspective to just be so glad that i got to be here during the glory days during the height of music and and all of that stuff and so i i know how it was and we are lucky and again because austin was frowned upon it was you know it's been left untouched until you know all this recent development boom i know these folks that come to austin when they see all of our uh, pristine lakefront property that's not been touched, they see it as a development opportunity. Mm. And the beautiful hills, we like to look at the hills. Now they're all stacked with houses and look like San Francisco. So it's different really? values, you know, plus they yeah. build these ostentatious looking Baroque mansions or something, or they're ultra modern cement and black architecture. Whereas the, the Austin way was, even if you had a mansion, it was still behind trees and it would be painted dark brown or dark green to blend in. And we were just all about the nature mm. and they're turning it into a concrete jungle. And, you know, the downtown is just a jumbled thing of buildings now <laughs> um, uh -huh. where it used to be. You could not build above the Capitol. Um, and, you know, there were only a couple of tall buildings downtown and boy, that's changed. <laughs> yeah my daughter says i'm in denial kind of like you say you know you know change <laughs> is inevitable <laughs> yeah 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 no it's it's interesting so you think that's just from more money coming in they're finding a less expensive place and driving up the price of things absolutely you know because yeah. californians you know they have such a higher cost of living and their homes are so expensive compared to texas so they can come in here and they can just plop down $4 million in cash mm. or an enormous house on tons of property that they couldn't have gotten there or just a regular home. And so we have to have a mortgage and stuff like that. And so we can't compete with these folks anymore. So that that's an issue too, you know, and I'm, you know, I bought my home in 2014 and, and really the only reason I bought it was because I, I saw the home prices start to take a 90 degree angle and um, I better, uh, you know, yeah, buy my home right. now or I'm going to be priced out of my own hometown. And that's exactly what's happened. My home has tripled in value in the past 10 or eight years. And I live in a little strip of county land that was looked down upon even within Austin because it was mostly trailer homes. Mm. Now it's kind of like, the last little eclectic neighborhood in Austin where you can kind of do what you want to do. Since it's in the county, we can do whatever we want. There's no HOA. It's great. That's kind of why I, I liked it. It's wild and tumbleweedy, but um, they've discovered that too. And so they're knocking all the trailers off the lots and then building the big cookie cutter mansions. And so, you know, <laughs> it's, what are you going to do? What, goes. You, what are you going to, what are you going to do about that? I don't know. I think that uh, eventually after my kids graduate high school, I might move further up the Highland Lake chain, maybe, <laughs> or go live near Canyon Lake or something like that. Uh, yeah. You know, I don't know. Because, um, you know, also this drives up our taxes. Yeah, and that's right. So it kind of makes it also unsustainable for anyone who's not really wealthy. Um, and so there's been a, an enormous amount of gentrification. Austin was kind of segregated along our I-35 freeway. And so the east side, um, 
it is now it looks like san francisco you know mm. it's, it's it's amazing and so like all those folks you know that were living in the homes they were born in and things you know they've all gotten displaced so it's just hard to be in the midst of a town that you love so much and to see all the people that made the town what it is being pushed out mm. yeah there are i mean listen uh they, they say that about like portland oregon right places like that where you have similar dynamics yeah and people hanging on yeah yeah i mean i see the same i live in delray beach which is uh you know south of west palm beach and you can see the same thing happening here literally raising neighborhoods as they develop and expand yeah i mean what i was saying in my neighborhood and in a lot of neighborhoods in austin you know every house will look different will be painted different we'll have some kind of different thing going on different yard art you name it and you know like i said they're just building these cookie cutters that just want to make it the same the same the same and it's kind of like well i thought you were attracted to austin's artsiness right <laughs> um, but you are making it the way that you came from <laughs> so yeah well it oh, seems like austin's bucking a lot of things in the state of texas right i mean is that getting swallowed up as well too just by just the overarching political climate and what's happening at the at the, uh, the government level uh what was the question i mean it just seems like austin is like this really this an almost anachronistic in the state of texas right oh yeah where it's going yeah. I mean, is that going to, is that going to end too? Uh, you know, I don't know. Um, I mean, I hear a lot of folks concerned that all the Californians are going to bring their blue political viewpoints to Texas and turn it purple. But then on the other hand, I think that a lot of the Californians that are moving here don't like the politics of California and they're actually secret conservatives <laughs> and oh, they kind of like, I mean, not that they like all of the policies, but they like some of the freedoms and some of the things that kind of go along with the conservative uh, stuff, you know, and definitely small government and no, you know, low to no taxes and being very business friendly and, and yeah. stuff like that. So they see the good thing in that. So I, I don't think that they're looking to come here and vote for Beto, <laughs> but we'll see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's interesting. But I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't know why freedom goes with being conservative. It seems the opposite to me, but I know it's it's an interesting. <laughs> paradox so right. i spent two years in colorado and this was part of my legal journey um so in texas we only get new laws through the legislature which meets every two years so we don't have the voter initiatives to vote on marijuana like the other states do so in 2017 we didn't get any movement in our law and i wanted to continue doing what i was doing so i just moved to colorado for a couple of years um, to immerse myself in a state where it's legal, mm. to um, you know, learn what the problems are, how to solve them. And the main motivation for that was to learn all these things, expand my network, meet the kingpins while I still could, and bring that knowledge back to Texas to represent Texans. So I'm living in Boulder, Boulder County, working in Denver, and, you know, extremely, extremely as left-wing as you can get. Oh, yeah. And this was before you know, the rampant cancel culture that we have now where, oh, if you just accidentally say the wrong thing, your career is over. And um, I had already gotten a taste of that in Boulder County. 
um, because they are so, so, so left-wing and they are the type of left-wing where you cannot think outside the lines. You have to think exactly along their dogma um, and there's no room for any other outside thought, which to me is the same or if not worse than the far right wing, you know? And the other thing I experienced there is because of that judgy, you know, that, you know, we, we know better than you, self-righteous type attitude. Everyone also was like a citizen cop, you mm. know? So like, for example, you know, if I went for a bike ride with my dog, um, as I would do in Texas, um, even if it was in a leashed area in Texas, it's live and let live. No one's going to bother you, especially if you're not bothering them. And um, I would get folks, you know, as soon as I pass them, they pull out their cell phone and they call the cops or they call code enforcement. And, you know, that kind of thing happens to me all the time. There are lots and lots of rules and regulations there, and they always want to get you, get you, get you. And again, it's like this conformity. So, um, and then on the, you, you think of it as an outdoorsy state, but, you know, there was less freedom to go outside, you know, again, like the dog, like every outside area had like all these rules and stuff and also was so oversaturated with people. Whereas here in Texas or in Austin, you know, I can go 10 minutes and I'm out in the middle of nowhere and I can enjoy nature all to myself. And so kind of because of the different mentality in attitude of the people, um, it's it felt. I feel like I have so much more liberty here in Texas, and there's mm. not like all these rules and regulations and fines out the wazoo. I cannot tell you how many fines I had to pay in Colorado. That I was relieved to get back here, and um, I mean, I guess you just have to live here to understand the freedom that that we do have, and all. And part of that is the small government, you know, instead of having this big government that's in your life and every little detail of your life, the way it was in Colorado, I imagine it's that way in California, um, because I've seen it be that way in marijuana in California. Um, so I don't know, it's just, it's hard to describe, you know, Yeah, it's interesting. and on so, the other hand, you know, you can get an abortion in Colorado and you can smoke weed on the corner, but you can't do those things in Texas. So right. there's some interesting paradoxes yeah that is interesting so what I was, the notions of liberty mean <laughs> yeah yeah no it's interesting I'm, I'm it's actually you're you're forcing me to think a little bit i mean i would expect that you know based on what you do and what your interests are and you live in austin you'd be as you'd be part of that real left-wing group but it sounds like you're more conservative i can't is that true yeah i guess i'm a, a gun toting hippie <laughs> i mean i'm definitely a hippie i'm definitely liberal through and through and the thing causes that I support and so yeah, forth. Yeah, yeah. I've always been in that vein. Yeah. But I'm also independent. You know, I mean, I I vote for people um on what they're running for in that particular election because it changes. And I don't really care if they are a Democrat or a Republican. I care more about their history and, right. you know, who they are. And that can change, you know, like uh I think it was two thousand eight, I voted for Hillary in the primary, because I, I really liked her healthcare, um, uh, you know, things that she was uh, trying to get going. Yeah. It's always been a personal issue for me, um, you know, not having had insurance a lot of times in my life. And um, and I thought that Obama was just kind of full of rhetoric and, and nothing else. Um, but then in 2016, 
she was kind of running as a, a, an establishment Obama 2.0 um, person. And so I, you know, I didn't want to vote for her then. I didn't want to vote for what she was standing for in that election. And, mm. you know, I was a Bernie fan. And, <laughs> you know, I mean, so I, you know, in both elections, I wanted Bernie, you know, and yeah, so yeah, that's yeah. kind of left wing. But I, on the other hand, I, you know, I, <laughs> I, I like a lot of the things that he stands for and a lot of the policies that he's pushing. Now, I will say, do you not like the left turn, this sort of what's being called radical left wing, kind of like I was describing yeah, 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 the environment sure. I experienced early on in Boulder County um, with the, you know, uh, it, it, you know, these culture wars or what they call the faculty lounge. And part of that's because I'm kind of unique uh, a little bit in, in being a lawyer in that um, I'm the first one in my family to go to college at all. And, oh, is that um, right? Interesting. Yeah, yeah I was going to ask you about your journey. Like, how did you even become a lawyer? Yeah, yeah, I can, I'll, I can tell you about it. I, uh, but you know, I had to work my way through school. I had no guidance. I, you know, there wasn't a, such a thing as a first generation. You know, I've got a lot of theories on college and class caste systems and how the college, you know, keep the elite elite and kind of lock out, keep the other people out. Sure. Um, and so that, you know, that was interesting. And it took me, you know, five years to get through college because I had to work full time. And so I could only take like 12 hours a semester and same thing for law school. And, in you know, half my family's from Alabama and, you know, very, very blue collar, very, very poor is what, what I come from. So, you know, um, what I've experienced, it's been kind of odd. It's been kind of awkward because all my lawyer friends they are from super educated elite families where going to college is a given and they, you know, they think all of these things um, based on their super education. And so let's go to Trump, for example, in 2020 um, or no, the 2016. So when he threw his hat in the ring in the primaries, I knew if, if he could knock out Jeb Bush, he would win. And like everybody thought I was crazy. And, you know, you hear the liberals saying, oh, my God, he's talking at a third grade level. Can you believe that? Can you believe anybody would, you know, uh, oh, my God, could you see how he performed in that debate? Oh, my God, you know, who, could, you know, that's like, well, the regular person in the middle of America, and even though the debates are happening, the regular person has a high school education, fairly, yeah. Yeah. regular person is working one or two jobs only has 30 minutes for news, maybe. They don't have the luxury of laying around all day on Facebook and in the faculty lounge debating all these things. And so it's, it's really interesting, you know, sort of my insight on, um, you know, what certain people are receptive to and, you know, kind of how politics works. Yes, and I think that's one reason there's yes. such a disconnect on the left wing side, because there are so they're populated by their own elite educated people and so they don't understand how they don't see that that's a privilege that not everybody has that automatic privilege of going to college and getting super educated and i also find it a huge turnoff how these folks talk so pejoratively about people who just weren't lucky enough 
to be born into a life where they could go to college. Um, well, it changed. I mean, you know, the, the, the Democratic Party used to be made up of the working class. It wasn't just the elite. I mean, it certainly shifted some, right? I mean, yes. unions and, you know, working class people that needed representation and needed to make sure the playing field was a little more level. But you're right. There has been a shift. And the bottom line was what you're saying. You have two extremes, but most of the, the voting bloc lies in the middle. And the message has to get to them and you have to listen to their, what they need, right? Yeah, I mean, Trump and the GOP, I mean, one thing they're good at is their message over and over and over, you know. So, so for example, the Democrats would say, I can't believe he's repeating that thing that's not even true. Well, he knows from his reality show and from everything, you know. Yeah, that's how it works. You just say the same thing over and over and over. And people start to just believe it is true. And as we're seeing today, you know, people only look at headlines. They don't even click on the article. And I'm amazed at how people are willing to throw down with me over a topic when they only saw the headline and they don't realize, well, actually, the article stood for the opposite proposition if you would have really read it. Um, so that that's another thing that's kind of happening in our culture with the lower attention span and and the news bites and and uh, you know all of that thing. So you know, politicians need to you know get a better grasp of that, and that that's one thing that he was good at, and he ran his show like a or campaign like a reality show too, and so people you know got into that. And I also had some sort of some some kind of insight into this as well because. I'm, I mentioned I love music. I worked at a record store for four years. And, um, you know, in the 90s, being in Austin, I was like the welcome wagon to all these musicians. Uh, and I, you know, I know a lot of famous musicians. I'm friends with them. Some of them are internationally famous. So I'd be backstage with them and I would see how people just go nuts. They just lose their mind over being around someone who's famous. They don't even have to be a fan of the person. Um, you know, grown men crying, you know, like, oh, amazing things, you know, it's like, <laughs> wow. And, and so I, you know, and, and I would travel the world and across the United States with the American Bar Association too. And whatever city I'm in, you know, there will be a gaggle of tourists standing outside of a Trump Tower taking pictures of it, because they know Trump from The Apprentice, and you know, and he's a celebrity. And so I already knew about that cult of celebrity that he was bringing into it um and so i i think maybe i had a little insight there but what's your insight going forward where where are we going now where are we going to go well i mean i have said that trump was going to continue to control the gop and um he is I don't know if he's actually going to run or not. I think it would be kind of risky. Um, I have thought the smarter thing <laughs> would be for him to kind of be a shadow, kind of like what he's doing, because he is so polarizing. Um, I have to say, I love DeSantis. <laughs> so if DeSantis runs, I wonder what will happen, because I think a lot of people like his leadership and his tone that's... Um, it's not off the wall with all of the crazy crap that Trump says, you know? Um, so, so we'll see, you know, I definitely see a Republican bloodbath, (laughs) um, when, or, you know, a bloodbath for the Democrats. 
I remember in 2016, I was at a, it was a marijuana election results party, but of course they were also showing the uh, election results coming in. And I still, you know, because I'm a woman, you know, I wanted to be supportive of Hillary, you know, having a chance and I wore my white suit to the party and everything. And I could not believe, you know, we, we saw the red wave just across the country. And even though I said, you know, I thought that he would win, I never thought it would be by such a landslide. Right. So that that surprised me. One thing that kind of bothers me, like what Democrats say, is that he's a threat to democracy or that Republicans are a th threat to democracy. But when an election is about 50-50, that's each side voting for who they want. And us getting to vote for who we want is is democracy, I thought. Like just because it's not going your way doesn't mean our democracy is is dying. You know, oh, that's uh, true. Def we're definitely troubled by a lot of issues. That's for sure. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of values that are being eroded in our country. That's for sure. Um, but it, it'll be really interesting to see where things go. I have I also have a lot of thoughts on how Democrats have handled things, which has caused this conservative backlash. Whereas if they had not had some hubris about a few things, if some things would have taken their natural course, that this election would have been about the Democrats taking back power. Um, but it's, it's, you know, it's the opposite. Mm. So with your um, mission to, to, I would assume, to legalize cannabis across the country, not just uh, for medical, but recreational, I mean, isn't it better to have a, which party is better for that? Well, traditionally Democrats, but, you know, I mentioned when I go to the Capitol, I focus on the Republicans. I focus on the folks whose hearts and minds need changing. Really, they need educating and, yeah. and illuminating. So it is essential to get the Republicans on board because we are not going to see uh, legalization until they do. And um, the one of the problems the Democrats have, and again, this is that faculty lounge, you know, you know, this focus on social equity, which, you know, I agree, that's a huge thing, you know, that we need to tackle. But in the bills that they introduce into Congress, they meaning the Democrats, they are so loaded down with taxation, regulation, all the social equity stuff, all that stuff, it's just never going to fly. Um, there is a bill introduced by a Republican senator named Nancy Mace out of South Carolina, and her bill makes the business case for marijuana and makes taxation really low, reallocates the governance of it to appropriate agencies instead of the DEA and things like that. And it's, you know, I, I think that if if the Democrats could let go of wanting this huge omnibus package, it's never going to pass to let's just get over the hump. Let's just get it legalized. Let's get the industry going. And, and then we can fix all of the social ills around it. But first we gotta get it legalized or we're just gonna continue to be in this little cesspool where we're not really going anywhere. So um, while Democrat led states have brought us the legalization that we know today, uh, we, we really need, um, like I said, the Republicans on board so that we can get something at the federal level. Because Texas, for example, there's another paradox. As uh, independent as we are, we are our own country. 
we follow the feds. You know, if the fed considers it illegal, we consider it illegal. Um, so we in the Southern states need it to change at the federal level. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I have to tell you, I'm going to wrap it up here. This has been a, this has certainly been different than any other conversation I've had with the, uh, Hope the so. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's interesting to hear your viewpoint. And it sounds like you're like, you got some conflicts there between, you know, you're conflicted, you're in the middle you're straddling lots of lines there. And yep. Uh, yep. Um, but, you know, I just try to be realistic. Yeah. Open-minded. And like I said, I kind of have a background where I see things differently, you know, like during Trump's presidency, you know, I mean, my parents were thrilled at everything that he did, everything that he said, they loved it. Trump calling women a three or a four or what, you know, all these things that a lot I didn't of people love that. Up, you like got up in arms with. Yeah. I grew up, this is how we talk down here. I grew That's up with that talk, stuff. So yeah. none of it was shocking to me either. To me, it was kind of normal. Um, right. I, right. I'm not saying it's right. It's not right. right. But it was not, not, out, it didn't make me up in arms because I was so used to hearing that kind of stuff. Right. Interesting. Well, listen, if somebody wants to uh, get in touch with, for, you know, part of your mission, what's the best way for them to reach you? Well, my email is lisa at pitman.legal. And I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. It's about the only social media I have the bandwidth for. And I work hard on putting curated content out there about um, predominantly about plant-based mes- medicines, including psychedelics. And I really kind of focus on Texas and the South. Excellent. Good. Well, listen, this has certainly been an interesting conversation. And um, I I appreciate the the time. Lisa Pittman with... Hope it doesn't get me canceled. (laughs) I'm not going to cancel you. Saying the wrong thing. (laughs) You're going to be be aired here um, on our thing. I mean, um, you know, we... this is sponsored by Motion Track. We are a legal tech platform. We do help uh, litigators prepare for cases, uh, trial and mediation. But that obviously is not what you do. Um, but it's been interesting and I'm sure the audience is gonna enjoy this conversation. So thank you very much, Lisa. I appreciate the time. Thank you.